0: Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This fireside address, entitled More Savior, Like Thee, was given on January 8th of 1989 by Barbara W. Winder, then the General President of the Relief Society of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thank you so very much, President Ames, and thank you, Brother Bardsley, for the lovely music. Through your beautiful rendition and the wonderful visual display arranged for us by Brother Chang, we have been reminded of the characteristics Excuse me, of him whose birth we have just celebrated. Now, President Ames and all of our ecclesiastical leaders, and President Holland, and also President Romsburg, all of our administrators, and faculty members, and our staff, and then you, our dearly respected students, whom I love not only for what you are, but for what you are becoming. And to my friends and family and all supporters of the BYU, as difficult as this assignment is, I am delighted to be in your midst. Delighted to feel the spirit on this campus. It's a spirit that is here at least in part because of your strivings for righteousness and excellence. Rich and I love you, and we thank you for your graciousness. Now we have packed away the tinsel and the ornaments of the season, but I hope the warm memories of fellowship, the expressions of love and cheerful greetings, giving of gifts, gathering of families together, and reflecting upon the birth of our Savior. And the significance of this event will linger long in our hearts. It seems that during this time we are more charitable and we have better feelings toward each other than at any other time during the year—that is, usually. We went to the store last night to do some birthday shopping for our daughter. And As we were having the gift wrapped, the women who were standing there in the gift-wrapping section said, Oh, we're so glad Christmas is behind us because it's so difficult to please all of, the, all of the customers who come in with all of their little details. So I thought, what I thought was the wonders of the season may have been difficult for some. We hope that you feel the blessings of it. And now comes the beginning of a new year. And Though we make New Year's resolutions to improve ourselves, often the good feelings of Christmas are forgotten and disregarded. But the image of the Savior—what he taught, what he sacrificed and did for us, planted firmly in our minds—can help us remember all that we must do. And while enjoying the opening presentation tonight and listening to the words, Just let your heart believe him. Never let your, let his light go. Never let your love grow dim. I heard him come. I reflected on the account in 3 Nephi chapter 11. And while the people were marveling and wondering about this Jesus Christ, and the sign that had been given concerning him. They heard a voice, not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. But being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear it to the center, and it caused their hearts to burn. And again they heard, but they did not understand. And then in hearing the voice the third time, they did open their ears to hear it. And they cast their eyes again up toward the heavens. And behold, they saw the Savior descending out of heaven, clothed in a white robe. He came down and ministered unto them. He taught them there should be no disputations among them. And they were baptized and took his name upon themselves. What a wonderful way for us to begin a new year. Open our ears that we may hear, and then resolve to follow Moroni's admonition to come unto Christ and be perfected in him. By establishing Christlike attributes in our lives, we can be more thoughtful, kind, and considerate of our fellow men. We can follow Moroni's resolve to come unto Christ and deny ourselves of all ungodliness. As I think of striving to rid ourselves of contention and living peaceably with our fellow men, I am reminded of an experience President Hinckley tells about. For a number of years while I had the responsibility for the work in Asia, I interviewed each missionary one-on-one. I asked each what virtue he or she saw in his or her companion. And when I raised that question, almost invariably, the missionary, an elder for example, would stop with a surprised look on his or her face. On his face. He had never thought of his companion that way before. He had seen his faults and his weaknesses, but he had not seen his virtues. I would tell him to pause and think about it for a minute. And then the answers would begin to come. Such answers as, well, he's a hard worker, he gets up in the morning, yeah, he dresses neatly, and he doesn't complain. It was a remarkable experience. These young men and women, for the most part, had been oblivious to the virtues of their companions, although they were well aware of their companions' faults. And they often felt discouraged because of those faults. But when they began to turn their attitudes around, remarkable things began to happen." Campus living is very similar to this as is family living. Developing skills and positive attitudes in living with roommates now will enable you to have happier, eternal companionships. Sometimes we hear of priesthood bearers being overly critical of their wives and children. Some time ago I was visiting a region where a joint priesthood relief society leadership meeting was held. One of the priesthood leaders was the husband of a Relief Society president there. During the meeting principles of cooperation were discussed and expressions of appreciation were given for the opportunity to work together. But the actions of this couple spoke louder than the words or good intentions. He treated her as a servant, thrusting his coat to her to hang up, criticizing her cooking and homemaking skills also scolding the children for minor infractions. President Spencer W. Kimball said, Our sisters do not wish to be indulged or to be treated condescendingly. They desire to be respected and revered as our sisters and our equals. And then he continued, I mention this because in some situations our behavior is of doubtful quality. Sisters, too, have a responsibility to build harmonious relationships. There are times when we are not as thoughtful as we should be. The most important place all of us should be practicing our own perfecting skills is right where we live with those nearest and dearest to us. The Prophet David O. McKay's wife Emma was credited with this statement. The most important thing one can take to marriage is a cheerful disposition. President and Sister McKay always seemed to be the ideal couple. He was such a gentleman, and she was so gracious. Seldom did a crossword come between them. How wonderful it would be if we could be cheerful always, not only with our marriage partners but with all people. In recent years. We have witnessed great changes in the relationships between men and women. Some of this has been beneficial as it relates to equal pay, education, and opportunity. But sometimes in our desire for equality, we have eliminated those common courtesies that are so important for harmonious relations. The prophets have taught that in his wisdom and mercy, Our Father made men and women dependent on each other for the full flowering of their potential. Because their natures are somewhat different, they can complement each other. Because they are in many ways alike, they can understand each other. Neither envy the other for their differences. And let both discern what is superficial and what is basic in those differences and then act accordingly. And may the brotherhood of the priesthood and the sisterhood of the Relief Society be a blessing in the lives of all members of the Church as we help each other along the path to perfection. Often our roles change. As you heard President Ames say, for many years I supported my husband in his priesthood callings, and then almost overnight a change came. He was asked to give up what he was doing, to be released as a mission president, to come home so that he could support me. This he has done cheerfully. I am always grateful when he can accompany me on my assignments as it demonstrates that we can work together as a team, supporting and helping each other. I watch the supporting relationship of your campus and church leaders. I watch the loving relationships of the brethren and their wives, but especially I love to watch the adoration that President Benson has for his wife, Flora, and she for him. Just recently I heard President John Larson of the Jordan River Temple tell of the weekly visit of President and Sister Benson to that temple. He mentioned that President Benson, though not strong physically himself, is determined to help Sister Benson as she gets out of the car or to hold her chair as she is seated for lunch after the session, and he will not relinquish that right to anyone. Their love and adoration and devotion to each other are obvious. These are relationships that have weathered the storms, the difficulties, and have endured through the years. They have learned to control their feelings and not say or do things which were offensive to the other. It's interesting that when we are dating we usually try to be the very best person possible in order to impress our date. Young men are perfect gentlemen, and young women are perfect ladies. Why should we change our behavior just because we catch each other? A woman never gets so old or has been married so long, but what she appreciates common courtesies. And a man never gets to the point where he doesn't appreciate being treated as a, an important human being. The development of this control is told in the story of Tom Anderson, and I'd like to quote this story now. I made a vow to myself on the drive down to the Vacation Beach Cottage. For two weeks I would try to be a loving husband and father—totally loving—no ifs, ands, or buts. The idea had come to me as I listened to uh, a statement on the television and then went on to hear the reporter say that love is an act of will—a person can choose to love. To myself, I had to admit that I had been a selfish husband, that our love had been dulled by my own insensitivity—in petty ways, really—chiding Evelyn for her tardiness, insisting on the TV channel I wanted to watch, throwing out the day-old newspapers that I knew Evelyn really still wanted to read. Well, for two weeks all of that would change, and it did. Right from the moment I kissed Evelyn at the door and said, That new yellow sweater looks great on you. Oh, Tom, you noticed, she said, surprised and pleased. Maybe even a little perplexed. After the long drive, I wanted to sit and read. Evelyn suggested a walk on the beach. I started to refuse, but then I thought, Evelyn's been alone here with the kids all week now, and now she wants to be alone with me. We walked on the beach while the children flew their kites. So it went. Two weeks—two weeks of not calling the Wall Street investment firm, where I am a director. A visit to the Shell Museum—though I hate museums—and found that I enjoyed it. Holding my tongue while Evelyn's getting ready, to ready made us late for a dinner date. Relaxed and happy. That's how the whole vacation passed. I made a new vow to keep on remembering to choose love. There was one thing that went wrong with my experiment, however, and Evelyn and I still laugh about it today. On the last night at our cottage, preparing for bed, Evelyn stared at me with the saddest expression. What's the matter? I asked her. Tom, she said in a voice filled with distress. Do you know something? I don't. Well, what do you mean?" I said. Well, that checkup I had several weeks ago—our doctor. Did he tell you something about me, Tom? (laughs) Tom, you've been so good to me. Am I dying? (laughs) It took a moment for it all to sink in, and then I burst out laughing. No, honey, I said, wrapping her in my arms, you're not dying. I'm just starting to live. End of story. We are taught that we should deal kindly with one another. And even in difficult situations, true love is unselfish. President Kimball said, for many years, I saw a strong man carry his tiny, emaciated arthritic wife, to meetings, and wherever else she could go. There could be no sexual expression. Here was a selfless indication of affection. I think that is pure love. I saw a kindly woman wait on her husband for many years as he deteriorated with multiple sclerosis. She waited on him hand and foot, night and day, when all he could do was blink his eyes in thanks. I think that was true love." I have always been impressed with the instructions given to Joseph Smith by the Lord at a most difficult time in his life. The prophet had been incarcerated in the Liberty Jail for a number of months under most distressing conditions. It was cold and dark and uncomfortable. He knew that his people were driven from their homes and scattered. He worried for the welfare of his family. It is only natural that at such a time he would be discouraged. And he cried out, O God, where art thou? How long shall thy people suffer these wrongs and unlawful oppressions before thine heart shall be softened toward them? And then the answer came, My son. Peace be unto thy soul. Thine adversity and thine affliction shall be but a small moment. And then, if thou endure it well, God shall exalt thee on high. Thou shalt triumph over all thy foes. Really, hearing the Savior's voice, as he taught the golden rule, would help us. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would do that you would that men should do to you. Do ye even so to them? Surely we do not need to hear this three times before we really hear. Learning to say, I'm sorry. Learning to say, I forgive. It's all right. Are part of perfecting ourselves, too. President Kimball said, If we forgive all real or fancy, fancied offenses, before we ask forgiveness for our own sins, if we manage to clear our own eyes of the blinding beams before we magnify the moats in the eyes of others, what a glorious world this would be. Divorce would be reduced to a minimum. Courts would be freed from disgusting routines. Family life could be heavenly, and our community lives would be blessed. End quote. The Lord has offered some warning and some instruction on how we are to deal with each other. and This was given particularly to the priesthood holders, but it seems to apply equally well to all of us. The Lord said, When we undertake to cover our sins, or to gratify our pride, our vain ambition, or to exercise control or dominion or compulsion upon the souls of the children of men, In any degree of unrighteousness. Behold, the heavens withdraw themselves. The Spirit of God is grieved, and this is how He said we should deal with others by persuasion, by long suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned, and by kindness. Let thy bowels be full of charity toward all men, and let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then comes the promise, then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. President George Albert Smith had a nine-point creed by which he lived. Two of the points seem to be particularly relevant to share with you at this time. First, I would not knowingly wound the feelings of any Not even one who may have wronged me, but would seek to do him good and make him my friend. And second, I would overcome the tendency to selfishness and jealousy and rejoice in the success of all the children of my Heavenly Father. During the past election campaign, President Bush said that his desire was for us to be a kinder, gentler nation. Possibly this was campaign rhetoric, but the idea is certainly laudable and can be achieved as each of us seeks to be perfected in the Savior, to be more like him, to be more thoughtful and considerate of others. Jesus said, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. It was not just uh, to love our friends and families. But he also said, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despise, despitefully use you and persecute you. I remember reading an incident of a true Christian charity recorded by Jack Anderson. Quote, The remarkable thing about Joanne Jones is the way she smiles through the tears. Her neighbors in Paris, Arkansas can tell you that she has been dogged by hard times, yet her whole personality always seems to smile. Left with three children to support, Joanne found work as a cook and eventually opened her own small restaurant, but her 22-year-old son was stricken with a rare disease. He lost a leg And because she couldn't keep up with the medical bills, she lost the restaurant. Yet these tragedies didn't dampen her spirit. All that mattered, she told her friends, was that her son was alive and preparing to become a missionary. The financial squeeze left her with no money to pay insurance premiums. Then her small home burned down. But she remained cheerful at least the family was still together—well, almost too close together—cramped into a cheap second-hand trailer. Now, Then the other day a cold front sent the temperatures plunging below zero in western Arkansas. Joanne stopped at the country store to use a pay telephone. Across the street in a frozen field she noticed four Mexicans huddled under a cedar tree. They were shivering in shirt sleeves in the cruel cold, with only one blanket to keep them all warm. She put down the phone and strode over to the freezing men. She couldn't speak Spanish, and they didn't understand English. But with some gestures and a few words in common, they let her know they wanted to return to Mexico, but they had no money, no food, no warm clothing. Joanne, though impoverished herself, brought the migrant Mexicans home. The family took two blankets off their beds, and an afflicted son gave up his wool coat so that each Mexican could wrap himself against the cold. Joanne remembered her church was holding a fireside service that evening in Fort Smith. She carefully counted out enough quarters to buy gas for the 65-mile round trip. She drove the forlorn four to the Latter-day Saint Church, where she found two dozen members still assembled. Interrupting, she announced she had four destitute Mexicans who needed help. The church members rustled up more warm clothing and collected enough cash to buy four bus tickets to Dallas with pocket money for food along the way. The members also put through a call to Dallas and arranged for some Spanish-speaking members to meet the bus. Joanne Jones gave her widow's mite, expecting nothing in return. I learned about her act of kindness from others. Because she cannot afford a telephone, I reached her at the diner where she now works. She didn't want to talk about her good deed. It didn't seem right, she said. Charity should be given in secret. Anyway, it was no big deal. Anyone would have done the same thing. End quote. Joanne lived the law of charity. Moroni describes charity as the pure love of Christ. I would like to say just a word now about Moroni's advice. To deny all ungodliness in our perfecting process. Ungodliness has crept into our society and is manifested in so many ways. It would persuade us from our eternal course of perfection. We must be aware of its many disguises. And I speak tonight specifically of inappropriate music, videos, and television that encourage unacceptable moral and sexual behavior. And I would plead for you to avoid them, even as the very plague that they are. For as we seek to come unto Christ, we must also come to his holy house. We must prepare ourselves to do so by denying ourselves of all ungodliness. Let us not have to be called three times as were the Nephites when the Savior came to them, but hear him now that he may minister to us And pray then for strength that we might come unto him. I would like to close with this prayer that it may be ever on your mind to help you in this quest. More holiness give me. More strivings within. More patience in suffering. More sorrow for sin. More faith in my Savior, more sense of his care, more joy in his service, more purpose in prayer. More purity give me, more strength to overcome, more freedom from earth stain, more longing for home, more fit for the kingdom, more used would I be, more blessed and holy, more Savior, Like thee. I know that our Savior lives, and I pray that each of us will let our hearts believe him, be more receptive to his voice, more willing to respond, and faithfully come unto him. And I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer.